Well, good morning, Life Fellowship. It's good to see you. My name is Dan. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. And uh, it's been a couple of weeks since I've been uh, able to, uh, to teach, and I'm just glad to be back in the pulpit with you. Uh, a couple of quick updates on a, on a few matters. First of all, I just got back from Zimbabwe. And uh, we recently, in about the last year or so, began a project over in Zimbabwe. And uh, as part of our missions uh, uh, efforts around the world, we have a missions team here that guides and directs those. And uh, about a year ago, I had been in South Africa. I met a uh, Zimbabwean uh, uh, leader, um, pastor, uh, discipler. And uh, he was telling me about some projects he had. And so we felt that the Lord may have us partner with him. So we began sending some seed money over. We bought a 1,000 books, uh, discipleship books, and some equipment for them and uh, got their truck running and several things. And uh, so I decided I was going to go take a look at it. Uh, we expect what we, or inspect what we expect uh, because we were getting ready to make some bigger contributions and, and uh, initiatives there. One of our philosophies is that we work with nationals as much as possible. So it's, uh, it's a part of how we do it. And uh, so I took uh, Andrew Shoemate with me, uh, who is our student ministry intern. And together, he and I took three days to get to Zimbabwe. We, uh, it was quite an adventure just getting there. We hit the ground running. We got there about 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And by that evening, we were preaching and teaching. And, and, uh, and Andrew was singing and dancing. He's, uh, he's, uh, he was quite the hit over there. And uh, uh, we just had a wonderful time visiting uh, the countryside uh, in, in the cities. And, and we saw what your missions dollars are doing in real life. And that's essential. That's important. And in fact, we gained confidence that uh, we need to go another level with what the, what's happening. Literally met just hundreds of people who are being discipled in the Word of God uh, using Dr. Bruce Wilkinson's material from Teach Every Nation. Uh, and uh, th these folks are just growing spiritually, now starting their own discipleship groups in villages, in cities, in churches, in homes. Uh, just what we want to see happen here. So we're pretty excited about that. And uh, in fact, during the month of April, we are doing something we haven't done for a couple of years because of COVID, but we're going to be doing a whole month-long emphasis on missions. Uh, our theme's going to be Bless the Nations. We've been talking about blessing our community, blessing our neighbors. Well, we're going to take that another level and talk about blessing the nations and what that involves for us. Uh, we're going to be uh, making some financial commitments so that we can uh, do things in India and in Africa and other parts of the world in the Asian uh, continent as well. Um, and, and for you get to see this, you get to meet it. Um, and, but also mission starts right here at home. So we're going to start off that way. On Good Friday, we want to urge you, and you're going to be getting information this week if you're a life group leader or a fellowship group leader. And uh, what we're going to do is do Good Friday, all right? So Good Friday ought to be a day of reflection, ought to be a day of memorial, uh, it ought to be a serious day. And so we're going to ask everybody in the church, take one hour on Friday and do good. Do good to somebody. Uh, we would love to have you do it with your family or your life group or your fellowship group, your small group. Uh, however you want to do it, you can divide it up any way you want to. But find somebody that you can spend at least one hour doing good for. You can, you know, volunteer for Charlotte Rescue Mission, for a food bank, uh, for um, a crisis pregnancy center. Uh, you can go clean up a park. Uh, find somebody who's a shut-in and their yard's a mess from the winter. Uh, go clean that up. Uh, you can do a food drive. You can make cookies and take them down to the, um, the senior adult center. Uh, let, you know, let the Holy Spirit be your guide and your imagination uh, take, take wing, all right? But find something to do, and then take pictures, send them us back to us, and uh, we're going to feature that and celebrate that 
um, before we come together again on Friday evening for our Good Friday services. But I think that's just a, an appropriate thing to do, uh, just to celebrate God's goodness to us. Uh, so that's, just, that's how we're going to kick it off, doing something local. By the end of the month, on the very last Sunday night, we're going to have a thing here at the church at 5 o'clock, and we're going to connect with our missionaries all around the world electronically. We're going to do a mass Zoom call. We're going to hear from them, look at, their, look at their stories, hear from them personally. And then when we're finished with that, that'll take about an hour, we're going to dismiss to the lobby, and we're going to do a Taste the Nations. And uh, we're going to have food from all around the world. We're going to have local missionaries here that you can meet and set up, bring your kids, bring family and friends. It's just going to be a great time of fellowship. We'll spill out onto the, the front, I'm sure, because there's going to be so many people here. Uh, but, and, and, and we're going to celebrate what we're able to commit to giving over the next year that night as well. So, and there's a lot of things in between. We're going to have guest speakers and events and all, all kinds of things. But I just want you to kind of anticipate that. I, it's like Christmas. I, I love missions, and so I like to anticipate Christmas. I love to anticipate missions. I hope you'll do that. Um, and, and there'll be information on social media beginning this week and all throughout April. So watch Facebook and Instagram and uh, all, the, all the other avenues. Watch your email boxes and so forth, and, and that'll come in. Uh, one last thing. Uh, first Sunday in March, when I was on my way to Zimbabwe, uh, Pastor Ben uh, made the announcement that um, my, my position is going to change a little bit. Um, and I've had a lot of questions about that. So I just kind of want to just really quickly, first of all, we did a podcast on it because of so many questions. We thought maybe that would help. So Tuesday, the new podcast drops uh, where he and I talk about my, my position, where it came from, and why the elders feel like this is important. Um, and hopefully answer some of the questions. I'm not going to stop preaching. I'm still going to be preaching. All right? You can't get rid of me that easy. All right? Uh, but uh, I'll still be doing preaching. I'll still be doing missions. Uh, I, I, again, that's just my passion. What I want to do is move administration off my desk. I've been doing that for 13 years here. Um, and I, I, I love budgeting and calendaring and organizing and so forth. But I don't want to spend the last 10 years of my public ministry doing that. I, I, I got into ministry to serve people. I want to serve people. And there is no greater need right now than in the next generation. So the next generation pastor is what we're going to call it. I'm going to be working with kid life, student life, singles, and young couples. And that is kind of like a circle of life for us. And, uh, and so that's going to be where I'm headed. I also want you to know, don't expect any announcements next week on this. Because in order for that to happen, we've got to move some things off my desk. I, only so many hours in a day, right? So we're going to be hiring a position to do administration. We've got a couple of open positions. So those have to kind of get in order. And then once that has happened, then I'm going to take some time, put out a plan. And we'll get a lot of you all involved in it, all right? So I'm just telling you that up front. Um, but uh, so I'm not retiring. If anybody, uh, somebody asked me, well, does this mean you're kind of like going into semi-retirement? Uh, only if twice the work responsibility means retiring, then yes, that's what I'm doing. Uh, I know I look ancient, but I got a lot of energy and I'm not quitting yet, all right? So I got a lot to do before the Lord calls me home or I decide that uh, you all just need a younger dude up here. So, but uh, Pastor Ben and I have been dreaming and planning. We're very excited about that. The elders have initiated this, so I um, look forward to that. All right, Galatians 1. We are in Pure Gospel, the study of the book of Galatians. And, uh, you know, this, this is such a, a, a great, great passage. And, you know, as I was preparing for it this week and I was looking at the story, this is basically Paul's story that we just read. Paul's saying, let me just give you a little look behind the scenes. Kind of like what I just did, because we are interested in that, aren't we? I mean, we, we want to know what the story behind the story is. We want to know how we got here and, and who is this guy? Who is this Paul? And Paul said, well, let me just tell you a little bit about my own journey. And in doing so, it builds credibility. It makes connections. It helps us to understand. Um, you know, there's this thing that happens, though, in Christianity. And 
having grown up in, you know, uh, in, in church and so forth, I, there, there are things that are part of the Christian culture that you just see all the time. Some, some things are kind of weird, uh, except they're normal for us. But you know, one of the things I've, I've seen over the years is that the Christian communication universe, the Christian community of gossips, I sometimes call it, uh, a story will break out and just spreads like wildfire. Um, and often, over the years, I've seen it has to do with like a, a famous person making some kind of spiritual decision uh, or a celebrity conversion of, of some sort. Um, like many stories that spread in churches in the Christian community, it often starts out as a prayer request. We don't gossip, we share prayer requests, okay? So this is often how it goes, um, and, and it's in, we'll pray for such and such a celebrity uh, because, and then they'll have this story, you know, they went, they showed up at church suddenly, you know, and some backwoods community, uh, they, you know, they had something happen. Somebody met them in a restaurant and shared them, and all of a sudden things are happening. Sometimes these stories have some basis for truth, and some of them are just internet rumors and so forth. But over the years, I've got to tell you, I've, I've seen a lot of them. Um, I remember several years ago, Jane Fonda, uh, she, she was going to a Bible study somewhere in Atlanta. Um, and I don't, I don't know what happened, whether how much of that was true or not, but um, let, let's just say uh, there's not a lot of evidence that the gospel took root in her life at this point, and that's tragic. I would love that for her. I would pray that for her, but, you know, but it was a wildfire across the Christian internets. Um, I remember Madonna, Bill Clinton, uh, uh, the kid from Growing Pains, now I'm showing my age, uh, Kirk Cameron. Now, that one was legit, all right, because he's an evangelist all over, all over the country uh, right now. And he, he's doing great spiritually and, and making a big difference, and he often stars in Christian movies. Um, uh, J- Justin Bieber, remember? All you, um, what do they call you, you people? Bieber, Bieber, no, Bieber. Believers, that's it, believers. That is so corny. That is so corny, but that's what it is, believers. Um, and, you know, he was attending a Hillsong church for a while. And, and, you know, there's some indication from things he said that he's on a spiritual journey. And, again, we would pray that for him as well. Um, one of the Baldwin brothers, Jeff Foxworthy, who I was a big fan of. Um, Lisa Welchel, if you remember Facts of Life, uh, she was on there. She, uh, and she, I believe, is a genuine believer. And more recently, you know, Kanye, okay? And, and we've watched his rather erratic journey um, and, and wondered what was kind of going on. But we all get all in a buzz about that. You know what We talk about it or whatever. This week there was another one that came on that was, that was really quite interesting to me because it just, like, every time I click on a Christian website, there'd be another story about it. So um, uh, this week, Richard Dawkins, one of the most infamous um, atheists on the planet, just, just absolutely hates Christianity and everything about it, um, made a statement. He got up and gave a speech, and he said... Science proves irrevocably there's only two genders. And the Christian community went wild. He agrees with us. He agrees with us. There are only two genders. I'm serious. It made front page like the Christian post and all, all the different uh, so forth. And, and, and I'm looking at that and, and everybody getting all excited. He's not, he's not renounced anything. You know, he's just, to me, kind of stating the obvious and... Um, you know, there's a country saying that, that, you know, I'm 
prone to offer those for you. But even a blind pig finds an acorn every once in a while. So he stumbled upon a truth. That, but boy, a lot of Christians are really excited because Dawkins now agrees with us. And I sometimes wonder when, when we see that, why do we aspire to have those folks agree with us when God's word has already settled it? But, but that's what we do. And by the way, that's nothing new. Because that is exactly what Paul, formerly known as Saul, had been facing. Paul was an extraordinary guy. He was well-known. He was the student of the great Gamaliel. He was, he was a member of the Sanhedrin. He had been a zealot. He had been a righteous critic. He had been a defender of the faith. He had been a, a persecutor of the heretics. Uh, he was a celebrity among his people and known as upright and righteous and devout and a little scary. So now all of a sudden word is that there's something new about Paul known as Saul. There's something spectacular that has changed in his life. Now, I will tell you this. When I see one of those stories on the internet, I have this habit, and it's not one of my more endearing qualities. I'll tell you this up front. But I usually join in with my own personal wave of cynicism and skepticism suspicion. Maybe it's because I'm from Missouri. Maybe it's just because I'm cranky. I don't know what it is, but I, I'm just not going to swallow this right away. And stop and think, there were a lot of people like that that Paul had to face. There were the friends of Stephen who knew he had been there, held the coat when they had murdered their brother at the bequest, at the request of Saul. Of those people who had lost their homes and lost their business and had their reputations destroyed, people that had been separated from family, people that had to flee for their lives, all of them heard this fantastic story of how Saul was on his way to Damascus to do some harm to yet another group of believers, and all of a sudden, bam, all of a sudden you're telling me that Jesus himself had appeared and converted him, and now we're supposed to believe that he's got messages that we're supposed to hear of? i got to tell you, I'm going to need some evidence. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need to check this out. And this is what Saul was facing. And by the way, Paul, Saul, dealt with this over and over in his letters. Many times you'll find that Paul's saying, let me tell you my story again. Let me tell you, you know I used to be this, but I, I just want you to know, you know, I've been shipwrecked and I've been chased out of town and they've threatened to stone me. I've been, and why is he having to do this? Because of people like Dan. Seriously, I'm not proud of that, but that's the truth. Because wherever he would go, there was always a but. Yeah, here comes Paul, but you remember what he used to be like. Oh yeah, they, we're going to go hear Paul tonight, but man, I sure hope this is real. And his entire ministry, he was having to say, that guy's dead. I'm free by the gospel. That guy's gone, buried. I've been freed by truth. And I want you to understand something as we, we look at this passage this morning. If you know Christ as your Savior, if you have been converted, if you have come face to face with the power of God in your life, the gospel has freed you from your past. And it has freed you for a purpose. 
And that guy is gone, and that guy is dead, and that guy is no more. And yeah, we still deal with, with the, 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 you know, the rubbish that they left in our, our reputation, in our life, but we have been freed by the gospel. And that matters. Now let's talk about Galatians for just a moment, then we're going to pick this, this passage apart. For, first of all, Ben, when he started this, this series, he said, what we want to do is we're going to go through it analytically. We're doing exposition, so we're going to go through it verse by verse all the way through. We're going to do a lot of that, so have your Bibles ready this morning. And if you take notes, we're, we've got them, or you can get them off the website. But, but, but the reality, he said, there's some goals we have to accomplish here. He said, when we get done with this study, when we get finished with it, we, we need to ask ourselves these questions. Do we understand the gospel? Do we understand the gospel? What does that mean? If somebody to say to you, you know, do you understand it? Could you say, yes, I, I, I've made it my life. Number two, do you believe the gospel? Because knowing the gospel and believing the gospel is two things. It's been said that the difference between heaven and hell for a lot of people is just between the distance from their head to their heart. Because a lot of people know the facts, but they've never yielded the will. Then the third question he wants us to answer by the end of this is, can you articulate the gospel? Now, this is a little tricky, and I've known people who have been believers for many, many years, and yet if you were to ask them, can you explain the gospel to me, uh, they, kind, they kind of freeze up, they kind of lock up. I was watching some kind of interview after I came back from Zimbabwe where apparently some reporter uh, put a microphone in the face of, of some activist or whatever and said, define woke for me. And, 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 and she like froze. It was kind of, kind of humorous. I mean, you know, deer in the headlight, look. And, 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 of course, and that turns into a meme and a joke and a screed and, and so forth for political purposes. But, but I've seen people do that with, with their own faith. Well, what does it mean to be a Christian? Well, I'm a follower of Christ. Well, what does that mean? So we need to get to a point where we can articulate concisely what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. What is the gospel? Then the fourth question is, how do we defend the gospel? Or can we defend the gospel? And by the way, it's not your or my job to be, uh, you know, full-time apologists. But at a rudimentary level, we need to be able to explain why everyone needs the gospel and what the gospel does for us. So there ought to be some ability to defend the gospel. And by the way, the best way to defend the gospel is to know the word of God. Again, the gospel needs no man's defense. The gospel defends itself. If you know scripture, you'll be able to quote the scripture. You say, well, I don't believe scripture. Okay, well, you know, that's the very basis of the gospel. So, uh, but at least you're going to hear why we believe what we believe. Then the last thing is this, and this is a crucial one. How is the gospel changing me right now? How's it changing me right now? What power, what impact does the gospel have on my daily life? And this is, this is important because our generation, many times what we do is we separate the, uh, our Christian life from our real life. And that's a very dangerous thing to do. There is no division for the believer between the secular and the sacred. It's all sacred. It's all God's. We've been bought with a price. We are wholly owned by God. We are his bond servants. These are, these are realities. And so there's not a Sunday hat we wear and then our Monday through Saturday hat. There's not our secular hat and then our Christian hat. There's not our Christian Dan and our real Dan. There is just one of us, and that needs to be somebody that is authentic in season, out of season, Monday through Friday or Monday through Sunday. Uh, we, we need to be able to have this conversation. How is the gospel changing you and me right now? So those are those five questions that by the end of the study, hopefully you're going to be able to answer them and, and, and to be able to apply them in, in, a, in a very real way. But the pure gospel, the transforming gospel, the life-giving gospel does not leave us unchanged. 
In fact, if you are exposed to the gospel and your life is not changed as a result, then you've not really met Jesus, and that's important to know. Coming to church and sitting here, even if you do this faithfully, even if you do this every week for month after month, year after year, does not make you a Christian. Does not give you a free pass into heaven. You do not get credits or chits or points that, uh, uh, that accrue till at some point you've gotten enough or yeah, you're in with Jesus. You're, you're, you're good. This is about a relationship. This is about a moment in time when you realize you're a sinner that cannot save himself and that you ask the Lord to forgive you of your sins and you make him Lord of your life. And you trust him completely, not him plus anything, not him plus good works, not him plus giving money, not him plus being baptized, not him plus being a member of Life Fellowship Church, just him adopted into his family. We now bear his name. When we get to that point, things change. Life begins. Freedom is distributed. And the bondage of our past life is broken because the old guy is dead. And that matters, and this is the message that Paul is going to be teaching and preaching to the Galatians who were in bondage to a variety of different things. And in order to get there, he needed to tell his story. Now, I want to say this, and we're going to get into the the verse-by-verse part. Understand this. We are in a series for the book of Galatians. There are times when you go and you'll hear a great sermon. You know, you hear a Billy Graham, uh, some of look in their past, they heard a Billy Graham sermon. And at that point, the lights came on, they trusted Christ. They'll never forget that night. They'll never forget that sermon. They'll never forget that moment. And those happen, and, and we're grateful for those. When all of a sudden the lights come on and, and, and truth becomes real. And it, but the vast majority of sermons are not that. And if you have that expectation that every church is a light, or every service uh, contains a lightning bolt sermon, uh, I'm just going to tell you, you're going to be disappointed when you listen to me, because that's not how it works. When I'm training young pastors, I tell them over and over and over again, remember this, you are building a wall, you're building a, a house. And how do you do that? You start from the ground, that's the, that's the gospel. And then you add brick after brick after brick, layer after layer, and you put mortar in between, and it takes time. But if you keep at it, eventually you're going to have a beautiful superstructure. You're going to have a beautiful wall. You're going to have a beautiful home, beautiful castle, whatever it is you're building. It's going to be magnificent. But each brick is a different truth, a different understanding, a different lesson. That's why it's important for you to be in the Word of God every day. That's why it's important to be in a small group. That's why it's important to be discipled. That's why it's important to attend Life University courses. That's why it's important to be... Because all of these are bricks, in your wall. So today's a brick. Remember this, okay? Not expecting this to be a bolt, a lightning bolt. I'm expecting it to be a brick. But it's going to give you some picture into Paul's life, his story, what he felt, what he was going through, and then the consequence of that, and then how that's true in your life as well. So let's look at this brick a little bit, all right? Paul, he was somewhat of a Jewish celebrity. People were talking about him. He had met Jesus, everything changed, but he still had the debris of his former reputation that was polluting and crowding and, 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 and in some way diminishing him. Because, you know, that's what Satan wants to do. He wants to diminish you. And how does he diminish you? He accuses you. And sometimes he does it in our head and sometimes he does it from outside, but he does that. I fight this battle all the time. Not everybody's like me, and I realize that. Some of you have fight different battles. But you know, for me, Satan loves to wait until my mind is a little open, a little clear. And then he likes to pull out every stupid thing I've ever said or done and remind me of it. Anybody else like that? 
It just drives me crazy. And, 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 and I can have had a great day. We could have had a great, you know, a great week. I, you know, things would be going well. And, 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 then, and then Satan will just, just show up. <laughs> and I say, oh, you're really hot, Dan. Remember when you said that, though? Remember that? Oh, you remember that sermon you preached? That <laughs> You talk about rotten eggs. That was a royal one. Remember that unkind thing you said? Remember that thoughtless phrase you used? You, you remember that time that, that, that you got angry? Uh, do you remember the time that you didn't think anybody was looking? And he'll pull those things out of me and absolutely beat me to death. Why? Because that's what Satan does. He's the accuser. Whereas Christ is the reconciler, Satan is the accuser. Satan wants to take the stupidest thing you've ever said or done. He wants to take your worst moment, your biggest failure, and he wants you to focus on that because if you're focusing on that, you're in bondage. You could be forgiven. People could have forgiven you. You could have all these things, but as long as Satan makes you focus on those issues in your life, you will not be free to make a difference in other people's life. Paul could have spent his entire ministry going back and making amends. He could have gone to, he could have gone to Stephen's family and said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. What can I do? Do you need money? Do you need help? I can't believe I was part of murdering of your, of your, of your, of your beloved Stephen. Or he, he could have gone back and he said, you know, I know you lost your job because of me. I know this church was destroyed because of me. He could have gone to all that and focused on righting all the wrongs that he had committed. And yes, there's a matter of us trying to be reconciled wherever we can. But God does not save us that we might remain in bondage. God saves us so that we can glorify him through the grace of the gospel in our lives. We are free to move forward. We are free to glorify God. We are free to share our story. We are free to forgive others. We are free to preach the gospel. That is the essence of the story of Galatians. Don't be in bondage anymore. Don't be in legalism anymore. Don't be in, 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 self, in, in, in self-accusation anymore. Instead, understand and appreciate the freedom of the gospel. But for Paul, this was an important personal message because of the way the old man, the old Saul, had been. So let me ask you this question. What is it that Satan does to you? What is it that Satan does to you? to get you to focus on anything but your freedom in the gospel. Oh, it may be an addiction in your past. It may be a temptation in your present. It may be a divorce in your past. It may be an affair. It may be, uh, it may be a tragic circumstance when you were a young person and you got an abortion or paid for an abortion. It might be a lie that you committed, a crime for which you were found guilty, a prison sentence that you once sold. It may be track marks on your arm that are still there years later. It may be the fact that you can't even walk into a restaurant with a bar without feeling the old draw. It might be that there are people that if you saw them, you would you'd duck away and, and, and be ashamed. It may be something that is so heinous and so serious that nobody knows it but you and the people that were your victims. And yet, God says I can forgive that. You can live in freedom. Are there consequences? Sure, there are consequences. That's the reality. You don't drive a nail into a piece of wood. Pull the nail out without still seeing the hole. It is there. We get that. But you understand this. God pulls the nails out so that we don't have to live in bondage to them. We are free indeed in the gospel. We are free to the forgiveness of Christ. And the old Dan, the old Saul, the old Bob, the old Mary... They're gone. 
and they're gone for good. But yeah, there'll be cranky old dudes. There'll be cynical young ladies. There'll be somebody who will want to remind you over and over that when it comes right down to it, you've got a past. And this is what Paul was dealing with. So he dealt with it up front as we get right into the first chapter. And he begins teaching the message of freedom by and for the gospel. So let's look at it very quickly. Look, if you would, in verses 11 through 14. We see these, these verses, by the way. It's, he, he's kind of starting this new section. And he says, here, let me tell you a story. Gather near. And let me just kind of address the questions that are probably floating around in your mind. He said, I know that some of you think that I got this new message I'm teaching from somebody else. I know you figure, uh, well, the disciples got to him. That's what happened. Oh, yeah, he didn't come up with that on his own. Uh, I, I, I bet they kidnapped him. I bet they forced him. I bet they know something on it. They probably blackmailed him into believing this. He said, I don't know what it is about you believe, but he said, I, I want you to understand something. Look in verse 12, what he says. I did not receive this message that I'm preaching to you. I did not receive it from any man. And he said, no man taught it to me. He said, Here's how I found Jesus, a divine, supernatural, personal revelation from him. He stopped me dead in my tracks. He struck me blind, and then he told me what I needed to do. Now, again, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, tell me about that. Okay, seriously, you're on your way to do damage to the church in Damascus. You're on the road. Ooh, bright light. <laughs> Ooh, a voice. There had to be some cynics. There had to be some skeptics. And yet Paul said, I'm not going to be able to control how you respond, but I am going to tell you the truth. And that's important. It's important for us as listeners to understand that when somebody tells us a story, we have a responsibility to consider it. And the other thing that we have to do is we need to tell our story, whether or not somebody believes it, tell the truth, speak the truth, tell the story of Christ's transformation work in your life. You remember this, you don't convert anybody. You'll never convince somebody to follow Christ. You'll never persuade somebody that they need to repent of their sins. That's the work of the Holy Spirit and only the work of the Holy Spirit. All we are are bit players. We're tools in the, in the master's hand. All we do is obey. We share the gospel. We tell our story. We give our testimony. But the transformative work of repentance and of salvation is done by the Holy Spirit. Paul understood that. And so he began. And look, if you would, if you, what he says in verse 13. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism. You've heard of it. And here's his first message. You're freed from your past, guys. You're freed from your past. You can move forward. You do not have to live in bondage. How do I know that? Because I'm living it. I'm living it. And yeah, maybe you didn't murder somebody or incite a riot or destroy a church or break up a family. Maybe you didn't do that, but you've done stuff. And I want you to understand, people are going to say, what about, and you can say, I'm free. I'm free. Don't let Satan undo your progress by putting doubts 
in your mind. Look at what happens next. Look, look, drop down after verse 13, 14. Drop down to verse 15 and 16. Because we see another principle here. We're freed by God himself. The only one that really matters is what God thinks of us in the end. Look what he said in verse 15, the first part of that. When he who had set me apart. Who's the he? That is God. What he had done? He had said, I choose you. You, the persecutor, Saul. You, the murderer, Saul. You, the one who thought you were going to be able to destroy what I'm starting here. You. I'm going to use you. And God looks at you. And he says, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you, the self-righteous former Pharisee who thought that you were impressing God with all your good works. I'm going to use you, the drug addict. I'm going to use you, the promiscuous fellow. I'm going to use you, the gossipy lady. I'm going to use you, the lazy dude. I'm going to use you, the drug-addled, alcohol-laden. I'm going to use you. Why? Because when we understand that it is God that transforms, he gets the glory. He gets the glory. We'll look at that in just a moment. Look at what it says in verse 16. He was pleased to reveal his son in me. He was pleased to reveal his son in me. That's where it all goes down to it. It's not you, but Christ who lives in you. And Paul would say this over and over and over again in his his future letters. Not I, but Christ who lives in me. That's the wonderful thing about it. The reflection that you now see in the mirror is not your good works. It's the gospel. It's not your best efforts. It's God's. You didn't pay the price. He paid the price. We are freed by God himself. But I want you to look at, go back in verse 15 again. And look at what he says. He who set me, free, free, set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace. That is getting these benefits when we don't deserve these benefits. That's grace. That's grace. Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Not of works, because if it were of works, you know what we would do? We'd all be bragging about it. What did you do? Well, I got to tell you, I did this, this, and this, and God, God rewarded me. No, God does not reward you with salvation. God graciously gives you forgiveness and salvation. We don't deserve it, and that's freeing. It's freeing because you didn't earn it, you didn't achieve it, you don't deserve it. Can't brag about it. You had nothing to do with it except responding to an invitation and the realization that you cannot save yourself. And Paul, the hyper-educated, self-righteous, arrogant, defender of the faith and tradition, the renowned scholar, the respected leader, had to get humbled struck down, blinded, confronted, accused, and then restored in grace. So we're freed by grace. But then again, remember that this grace is possible because of, look in verse 16. He was pleased to reveal his son to me. 
So God himself allowed his son to free us. That's Christ. Without Christ's substitutionary death, it took his sins upon him, we had no hope. But why are we free? Well, look in verse 16, continuing on. It says, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. This was his commission. He was freed so that others could be freed. Now remember, Paul, when he was Saul, thought that it was all about the Jews. It was the Jews. They had received the promise. They were going to get the Messiah. He was defending Jewish culture, Jewish religious systems, Jewish identity, Jewish faith. And then God said, hang on a moment. Let me explain some things to you. You aren't all that. You're wrong. You need to repent. And by the way, your new job description, you're going to go to the Gentiles. You're going to go to Rome. You're going to go to Greece. You're going to go to Asia Minor. You're going to travel all over the Middle East. You're going to talk to Samaritans. You're going to talk to Gentiles. You're going to talk to all kinds of people, people that you wouldn't have given the time of day to before. Now, those are your mission. Why? Because they needed to experience the freedom as well. And it's God's desire that our freedom leads to freedom in the lives of others. Over and over and over again. That's, what, that's the whole principle of forgiveness. When we forgive others, we forgive because Christ forgave us. Remember the parable where he said, what about the guy who, who got forgiven and then didn't forgive his debtors? That guy's reprehensible. He's horrible. And yet for all of us who want to keep our salvation to ourselves and to add layers to it to make us seem more important and others to be moved away from it, very, very dangerous. It's what God called us to do. We are freed so that others could be freed. That's why we bless others. That's why we share our faith. That's why we give our testimonies. That's why we meet people for dinner. That's why we try to make a difference. And then the last thing, look in verse 24. And we'll, co we'll come back and hit these other verses in between. But this is the culmination in verse 24, the very end. And they glorified God because of me. What about him? His story. If God could save somebody like Saul, he could save everybody. I mean, this guy was a mess. He was the murderer. He was the persecutor. If God would reach down and choose him and confront him personally, then we're freed that God could be glorified because in that moment, anybody that God so-called would receive eternal life. And that's the wonderful thing. God's not impressed with great preaching. God's not impressed with eloquence. God's not impressed with education. God's not impressed with, you know, our ability to communicate the gospel in a winsome and wonderful way. Because none of that matters. God's power is because of God himself through his Holy Spirit as he uses truth in our life. Therefore, he's the only one that gets the glory. Not us, not our techniques, not our skill set, not our talents, but God. So what should we remember? Well, let's go back and look at a couple more verses. Look, you can go back in verse 12. 
Look what he says here. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's the first principle. The gospel is his plan, God's plan, not our plan. It's his plan, not our plan. People are always saying, oh, a religion is a system that was designed by, yeah, God himself. Not tradition, God himself. Not a group of people in Rome, God himself. Not a people in Jerusalem, God himself. This is his plan. Now, this is important because Paul was apparently being accused, and the accusation probably went something like this. Yeah, well, one of the disciples went to him, and, and, and maybe they talked to him, or, 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 or maybe they convinced him, or maybe they persuaded him. But, but notice, notice you know, what he said. I, if, you, if you drop down in verse 19, he says, I didn't even see any of the other disciples. The others that, that walked with him, I didn't even spend any time with them, except I briefly encountered James, the brother of Jesus, but just for a little while. These guys did not disciple me. I am not a convert of, convert of the disciples. I'm a convert of Christ. Now, here's what we know, and I'm going to fill in the, the story for you, and you can study it and so forth. But here's basically what happened. For three years after the conversion experience, Paul was discipled by Christ himself through the Holy Spirit. There are three years between Paul's conversion, a little more than three years, between Paul's conversion and his, his ministry. And it was during that, and by the way, how long did Jesus disciple his, his 12? A little over three years. You see, this was that time in which Jesus was saying, I'm going to pour into you. I'm going to use you in a unique way, Paul. I'm going to disciple you. Because the gospel is his plan, not our plan. So don't you think it's important that we learn his plan? You know, we're, so, we're, we're always looking like, oh, I've got to read good to great. It'll teach me how to grow a great church. I've got to read uh, purpose-driven church and teach me how to... And I say this to my students all the time. You know what you need to read first is the Bible. That's what you read first. I'm not saying you can't read other stuff, but you understand this. Everything needs to be viewed through the paradigm of Scripture. If you're not reading your Bible, if you're not studying the Word of God, if you're not being discipled, then you are never going to be able to be the mature believer and minister that God has designed for you to be. Even Paul had to go to seminary. Okay? And I'm not saying you have to go to seminary, but Paul's seminary was the, you know, Jesus Christ University. <laughs> All right? Doesn't get any better than that. But he was taught. This is why I'm saying this. If you have trusted Christ as your Savior, how are you intentionally growing in his word? It takes a variety of strategies. You need to be in church. But you also ought to be in a Bible study. You need to be in a small group. By the way, there's a table out there that you can see small groups right now that are taken. And you say, well, I'd like to lead a small group. Then you talk to the guy out there. We'd love to talk to you about that. We're starting small groups. My small group just multiplied. And Troy Pugh now has those. We've got two college-age small groups now. Because it got too big. I was talking to Jerry Lutzel a while ago. She told me they've got, she got like 17 in her small group. Time to multiply. You know, this is what you're supposed to be doing. This is what discipleship does. Go to the ladies' Bible study. Go to the men's coffee on, you know, the first Saturday of every month. There are other, there are other Bible studies that meet in restaurants in Chick-fil-A and, and, uh, and, and some of the other restaurants in here. Find a group and study the Word of God. I love the fact that often I'll come to, you know, Pastor Ben and I are, you know, we're just completely, he, he's Mr. Extrovert, I'm Mr. Introvert. He, you know, he's a morning person. He's a sick puppy. 
I tell you what. And he actually is a sick puppy. He's sick today. But, but no, he, uh, and I don't mean to make light of that. I mean, he really has got that flu. But um, the, the, the reality is that I'll come into work, you know, 9, 9.30, whatever, and, and he's, he's been here since like 5 o'clock. And every, almost every morning when I come in, he's got some guy in, in his office, and he got the Bible open. You know what he's doing? Discipling. Pointing people to Jesus. And, 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 and by the way, that's what pastors do. And that's what you should be doing. That's what we should all be doing. You should either be a disciple or a disciple maker. And I, I love the fact that Ben's never too, too busy to do that. You know, lead a small group. Take people under your care, under your tutelage. You'll learn more than, by the way, you'll, you'll teach. You'll always learn more than you teach. But this is why? Because the gospel is his plan. It's God's working out of truth in your life. Number two, the gospel supernatural. Look in verse 12 again. Through a revelation. That's what he said. I got this. So I received it through a revelation. God gave him a supernatural encounter. And the fact is this. The gospel is supernatural. It can't be explained. It cannot be explained. But if you will trust God with your soul in a supernatural way, he will transform your destiny. Third thing. The gospel's transcendent. Look in verses 17 through 22. Look at the different places, the locales. Arabia, Damascus, Jerusalem, Syria, Cilicia. Look at all these different places. And by the way, there are, there are other places, but these are the five that are mentioned here. What does this mean? God sent Paul through a bunch of different cultures, different geographic locales. And he was showing him this. Paul, it's not just about the Jews. The gospel is transcendent. What does that mean? It's for all people at all times in all places. It's not just for this generation. It's for the past and the future. It is not just for white people. It's not just for Americans. It's not just for Westerners. It is for everybody. And by the way, God loves his church in Africa as much as he loves his church in Cornelius. He loves his church in Burma as much as he does the church in Colombia. He loves his church in Thailand as much as he does the church in Romania. God loves his church. It's not just about us in our position, in our comfort, in what we, meet, we feel is, is unique to us. But God died for the church of all nations. And he calls them to himself. It is transcendent. And God wants the next generation to hear the truth as well. And part of what this generation should do is make sure that we teach the generation to come because the generation after that, we won't be around for. So we teach the generation behind us who will teach the generation behind them who will teach the generation behind them. It's transcendent. The last thing is this, the gospel is indestructible. I love what he said right before he said, God is glorified by my story. He said this, but remember who I am, verse 23. These are what people are saying, okay? People are listening to me preach. Here's what they're saying. He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And Paul wore that knowing that that was accurate. Here's the deal. Satan will always try to accuse you. Yeah, look at him, but I remember the old guy. Oh yeah, he talks about Jesus and forgiveness, but I remember when he was a mean drunk. I remember when he was a drug-addled addict. I remember whenever they were a big gossip. I remember when they were unkind. I remember when they were self-righteous. 
I remember, and, and by the way, Satan will bring all that to your mind. If you want an excuse to reject the gospel, I guarantee you Satan has a whole litany of them he'd love to share with you. If you want a reason to reject Christ, he will give you every reason on the planet because that's what he does. He's the accuser. He will remind you that people get hurt by the church. Yes, they do. He will remind you of hypocrites because yes, they are there. He will remind you that, 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 uh, that you committed some veil, uh, 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 vile and heinous sin. And yes, you probably have. But the bottom line is this, God's power of salvation, the grace of the gospel frees you from that bondage so that you can live victoriously and so that you can live. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We are free indeed. And Paul celebrated that. The gospel is indestructible. It will survive this generation. It will survive this confusion that we see right now. It will survive these dark days of Western culture. And it will flourish. Why? Because God is in control. And Paul was a living testimony of that. So what should we do? Let me close with this. Number one, we've got to embrace the freedom that comes from forgiveness. No more bondage. No more slavery. No more living in your past. No more sitting around making excuses for doing nothing because of something that God forgave you of a long time ago. If you need to be forgiven, get it. If you need to trust Christ, do it. And you will be free indeed. But we've got to embrace the freedom. God does not want you to live under the shadow of the dumbest thing, the meanest thing, the stupidest thing you've ever said or done. God wants you to walk in the freedom of forgiveness. And you'll have to discipline yourself because Satan won't give up. Because the moment he can put you back into bondage is a moment that you're not walking in freedom. And that means that he's won victory that day. Number two, be discipled in the truth. And you've got to be intentional. I, today, this gentleman right here on the fourth row stopped me and said, you know what? If you've got somebody to disciple, I'm ready to go. If you want to be discipled, you call us. We've got people that would love to sit down with you. We'll put you in a Bible study. We'll do something one-on-one. But you be discipled in the truth. Why? Because the Christian life is a journey. It's a journey. Even Paul spent three years getting schooled. Number three, bear witness of the change. What does that mean? Tell your story. Paul didn't hide it. He didn't run from it. He had to confront it. Everybody knew anyway. Everybody knew who he was. There was no hiding it. So all he could do is live each day faithfully. And all he could do was answer the questions when they came, share his story, and let God do the rest. Some of you got some pretty amazing stories. Some of you got some stories that a lot of people can relate to. Some of you grew up in Christian homes but didn't know Christ. Some of you grew up in homes that were broken and shattered. Some of you have dealt with addiction. Some of you have survived cancer. Some of you lost your business. Some of you came to the point of death's door and God miraculously healed you. Some of you are advanced in years. Some of you are advanced in education. Some of you are advanced in wealth. Some of you are deficit in some areas. I don't care because God doesn't care. But God gave you a story that somebody else can see him in if you'll just share it. So share the story of God's intervention in your life. Number four, don't be discouraged by opposition and obstacles. It's a sign that you're doing something. It's a sign that you're doing something. 
And yeah, sometimes it's because of our own stupidity. Sometimes we make a mistake. Sometimes we should think through things more carefully. I get confronted with this on a regular basis. It was last week, and I needed it. There are times when you're like, God, how in the world can you use a moron like me? It really is. But you don't understand this. It never was about me. It was always about the truth. It's always about the gospel. And God doesn't use us because of us. He uses us in spite of us. Because the change that he makes in our life is the important change. That doesn't mean take your mistakes lightly. It doesn't mean that you ignore them. It doesn't mean you don't try to do better. But don't be held hostage to them. The fifth thing, glorify God with your journey and your story. This is what we should do. Glorify God with our journey and with our story. God gave you a story. He wants you to use it. This is what Paul's doing. He's getting ready to get into the meat. Boy, we're going to hit a whole bunch of bricks here in the next few weeks. And this is really good. This is a great book, and I think you're going to learn a lot from it. When we talk about the pure gospel, we talk about something that's wonderful. But here, let me say this to you. Understand this. Your story, your story is God's gift to be used for his glory. He's transformed you. He's rescued you. He's saved you. Use your story. Oh, it may not be, I murdered somebody. For, no, it may not be that. It may be that you persevered, you endured. But regardless, God has given you something to do. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. May I ask you, what is it that God wants you to do in your freedom? What is it that he has saved you to do? Do you know that? Are you free? Have you trusted Christ? Have you accepted him as Savior? If not, right now is your opportunity. It's your moment. God is inviting you to have eternal life. You say, well, Dan, how do I go about that? Well, in just a moment, we're going to dismiss. We're actually going to sing a song. You can leave during the song. There'll be somebody outside in the lobby. They'll have, they'll have a uh, lanyard on with a red tag that says, how can I pray for you? Will you just go up to them and say, can you show me from the Bible what it means to be a follower of Christ? Can you show me what it means? We'll show you in private. You don't have to write a check. You don't have to, you don't have to join anything. But we want to tell you the story of how much Jesus loves you. Say, Dan, I've done that, but I've got to tell you, I walk in bondage every day. And I understand that. I understand that. But the purpose of this message today is to tell you you don't have to live that way. There's freedom in Christ. Embrace it. Enjoy it. Claim your forgiveness and share your story. That's what Paul did. Paul said, I was a mess. I was an evil man. I was a persecutor. But Jesus stopped me. And he told me he loved me and that he could forgive me. And I believed. And now from that moment to the day I die, I want you to know, I will tell you the truth. In spite of my past, let me tell you the real things. And in fact, that which I used to threaten others with murder for, I'm willing to die for myself. That's how much I believe. So tell your story. Like Paul, like many before us have done. Bless somebody. Who do you know who's far from God? to you who needs the story of transformation of the gospel 
that Christ has wrought in your life. Let's stand as we pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for all that you have done for us, for freeing us because of the gospel. Now, Father, I pray that you'd help us to use it for your glory and our good. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.